When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday Buckeye Talk. We're going to do rants, a lot of horse talk, more than you would expect on a football podcast. We're going to talk about Joe Burrow and the Bengals. We're going to talk about the Ohio State quarterback battle. Got a Troy Smith Terrell prior question. Uh, me being a jerk, uh, injuries. Uh, some Ryan Day bloodlust. The word bloodlust is used on this podcast. A little more Heisman talk like we had on the Thursday pod when I presented my case for a postseason Heisman. And then again, a lot of horse talk. We did a horse survey. If you're not here for horse talk, horse talk. Horse talk would be good. If you're not here for horse talk, that was horse talk. That was horsing talk. Horse talk. That'll be at the end. We'll start off with football. As always, we get these rants. Didn't get as many this week. A little off-season lull. We get these rants from our tech subscribers if you want to be able to send those in, if you want to be able to respond to surveys about horses, other animals, or football. You can subscribe to our tech subscription at 614-350-3315. Let's get rolling with our Friday pod. From the 512, does the outcome of the quarterback battle for Ohio State have anything to say about Ryan Day's quarterback development and or change to a more mobile quarterback. Kyle McCord was handpicked by Day and has been groomed under Day for years. For him to not win the job might certainly say something about development or change in philosophy. Or is it likely a complete jump by Devin Brown? This is from Ty and Austin, and I think there's a lot of good in this question. I think the, the result of the quarterback battle might not tell us something definitive, but I think we'll learn things how the quarterback battle is talked about because you might have something with Kyle McCord handpicked by Ryan Day in the system for three years chosen over J.J. McCarthy kind of that first guy that that Ryan Day really with a plan went out and got as you guys know Justin Fields was a transfer C.J. Stroud was a late add to the class that had Jack Miller so Kyle McCord should be the embodiment of the Ryan Day quarterback selection and development process. Devin Brown late in the process, like C.J. Stroud, a late answer after the Quinn Ewers stuff went down. As as far as we think right now, I think a little more 
mobile. So I think the result, if maybe you would say, oh, well, if he picks Kyle McCord or if Kyle McCord wins the job, that is a nod to selection, development, long-term plan, boom, shakalaka, that's Ryan Day's guy, it all worked out. If Devin Brown wins the job, maybe we would say, hey, maybe Ryan Day wants somebody a little more mobile, right, who can move around a little bit. He's going to move towards that kind of quarterback. And I don't think anything with small sample size, I don't think we can make a definitive declaration either way, because it might just be Ryan Day actually had an idea, like in his head, hey, I'd like a guy who's a little more mobile, or hey, ideally, I want a guy that I pick, I select, I work with before he gets here, I develop him for three years, I want that full development model. But then in the end, the other guy just wins it. The other guy just plays better, because you got to go with the guy who plays better, who runs the offense better, who's more prepared to help Ohio State win. But the way Ryan Day talks about it, and I do think it will allow us to ask questions on your behalf about style of play, about when you have a long relationship and develop a quarterback, which Ryan Day has talked about a lot, about when you have a guy who can make off-platform throws and keep plays alive. I do think there's a chance for either of these guys, probably, to be in between Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, to be perhaps more mobile, more off-platform than C.J. Stroud was in a typical game. We also we saw him th- make the off-platform scramble touchdown pass against Georgia. We saw him do it sometimes in games. But more often than not, C.J. Stroud was a pocket passer. And then Justin Fields was a just a rare, rare athlete at quarterback. So the, neither Devin Brown nor Kyle McCord is this the kind of running threat that Justin Fields is because Justin Fields went to the NFL and tore up the NFL with his legs. But I think both are potentially more out-of-the-pocket kind of guys than CJ is because CJ is just more, I think, of a traditional drop-back quarterback. So I think either will give us a little more information because they're just in the middle of the scale. And even the the first two quarterbacks Ryan Day had, Dwayne Haskins, like CJ, pocket guy, more of a distrib, you know, just bing, bang, boom. We all know what Dwayne Haskins was. And then JT Barrett was a remnant of the Urban Meyer system, who really is, you know, a Tim Tebow kind of quarterback, a running kind of quarterback, who also can throw, but I mean, JT Barrett's not in the NFL. Ryan Day wants NFL quarterbacks, NFL arms, and JT Barrett wasn't that. So as a result... If you, well, we should probably do this. If we had a graph, some kind of evolutionary chart of a Ryan Day quarterback, I think JT Barrett is on, JT Barrett might even just be on a different chart because he's really on the Urban Meyer chart. Dwayne Haskins and CJ Stroud, I think, are on one end of the chart, and then maybe Justin Fields is on the other end of the chart. And I think both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are in the middle. And while I think a lot of times in life, there's a thing at the end of the, well, I don't want to say the end. I don't want to ruin everything. There's a lesson in the Fablemans movie, the uh, Steven Spielberg thing, where a guy says a thing at the end that basically like the middle is boring, right? Which is, I love that lesson. The middle is boring. I think the you know, extremes are boring, but that's in journalism podcasting, writing, life, right? You want to be on the edges. You don't just want to be walking down the middle all the time. You want to you want to get out. Sometimes you have to be in the middle to survive. Sometimes you have to be in the middle to get through the day. But you really when you want to do something great, you got to be on an edge. You got to be on an I tell my, my daughter's in a creative field, don't be in the middle, 
I always say don't. Let's talk about when you're writing about stories, you want to be at 30,000 feet with big picture and you want to be in the granular, granular details. You don't want to be writing right down the middle. Hey, this thing happened. This thing was good, person said. So we are going to be in the middle of the Ryan Day quarterback spectrum. But I do think the middle in this case will teach us things because it will teach us things about which way he wants to lean. And sometimes you have more flexibility when you have two guys in the middle. And I do think maybe Brown leans more, maybe a little bit more athletic scramble and Kyle McCord, maybe a little bit. And I might be wrong on that. We'll have to see how that plays out. So in the end, yes, it's a great question, Ty. This quarterback battle isn't only about picking the starting quarterback for Ohio State in 2023. I do think to some degree it is a referendum on how Ryan Day thinks about quarterback play. His evolution as a quarterback thinker and developer. I do think we're going to learn about that. But I don't think the choice will necessarily teach us that because in the end you got to pick the guy who's making the plays. I, I don't know. Unless it's a toss-up. If it's an absolute tie, then maybe Ryan Day leans towards the style he is would embrace right now. But the way he'll talk about it, I think is going to tell us something. It's a really good question because I do think there, there is a lot more at play for us here than just Brown versus McCord. Great, great rant here. This one's from Roger in Athens. Not really a rant, but a couple of questions. Have you guys ever contemplated creating merch? Yes, yes, million times. Yes, 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 yes. I would buy a shirt or something. I actually, I'm recording this on Friday. We had a conversation on Thursday about merch. The thing is that I'm always, uh, I've always been cautious about is that we have the word Buckeye in our name. And Ohio State has never said anything to us about that, but we've never tried to make money off of it. Well, I mean, we sell ads on the podcast, but we've never sold merch. So if we were like at the beginning of this, we call this the bad podcast, right? Bill Ari Doug. If we were still that, I think we would have merged it up by now. But there are other Ohio State sites that have the word Buckeye in them that they have done. See, the thing I, I've seen guys wear their own merch, like they wear their own swag. So when they're walking around, they have like the logo of their site or their podcast on their shirt, but I don't know if they've sold it to the public. I would love to do it. I think we should do it. I think we will do it. I will be curious to see what happens if we try to sell a shirt. Hey, here's a shirt for $3.99 that says Buckeye Talk. Ohio State might get interested in us because Ohio State does not like people making money off the word Buckeye because it's their word. They own that. And then would they either shut us down or require us to like get a license from them that we get licensed to sell Buckeye merchandise? So that's a complicating factor, but I think it's worth looking into. I think some of you guys would like merch and we would love to do it. We would love to do it. We'd do it yesterday if it, if it wasn't that complicating factor. The other one is this. This is the other question from uh, from Roger. Who would be the more successful quarterback? Troy Smith and Ryan Day's system. Or Terrell Pryor and Urban Meyer system? I would pick Smith, but it would be interesting. It could be a pot idea. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for the quality content. You guys are awesome. So I love this question. And since Ryan, uh, Nathan and uh, Stephen didn't cover Terrell Pryor and Troy Smith, I'll just do it here. I think the idea of the ultimate Terrell Pryor in Urban Meyer system is potentially earth-shattering. 
Now, we saw a version of that because we got Braxton Miller in Urban Meyer's system. And the thing of it is, when you have tremendous athleticism as a runner at quarterback, what your possibilities are in Urban Meyer's system really get intriguing, right? Cam Newton in Urban Meyer's system. He won a Heisman at Auburn, but he was at Florida originally. If he would wound up staying at Florida and playing for Urban Meyer, what would that have looked like? But I also do think in the end, you we saw it with JT Barrett, you to really maximize your effectiveness and your athleticism in Urban Meyer's system, you have to be able to make those choices in the zone read game, which is why JT Barrett was so great. JT Barrett read it, really good ball management, like good good ball fakes and that kind of thing. And I don't think Braxton was ever as good at that. Braxter is Braxter. Braxton is multiple times more athletic than JT Barrett, but JT Barrett, I think, is multiple times better reading the zone read, reading the defensive end, figuring out what to do here, and then keeping the defense off balance with his ball work and those decisions. So Terrell Pryor would have had to be pretty good at that, but Terrell Pryor with that size, Braxton's magical spin moves, open space, Braxton, I thought, was never a great scrambler, but get him out then in space and let's go. I think Terrell Pryor, I, I, I think both Cam Newton and Terrell Pryor are the special, because they could, they could throw it too, are the, the kind of guys in that Urban Meyer dual threat running QB zone read system that it could have been something unlike anything we ever saw. As good as Tebow was, I think Cam Newton or Terrell Pryor with that size and that athleticism would have been perhaps just through the roof. Now, that's not to take away Troy in Ryan Day's system. But I think in the end, Troy Smith actually was pretty good in the system that Jim Tressel had for him, especially in 2006, when the, when the running decreased. Because Ryan, again, like ideally, like doesn't want his QBs to run a ton. And, and Troy, would, Troy would burn you with his legs. And we certainly saw that a lot in 04, to a decent degree in 05. And again, often running to throw. But then by 06, he was more of a pocket passer. But I thought, I thought that was a pretty good version of like Troy, captain of the ship, that Tressel gave him. And so I don't know... What Ryan, and he had great receivers. I mean, Troy in 05 and 06 is, you know, in 05 still got Santonio Holmes there along with Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez by 06. It's Anthony Gonzalez, Ted Ginn Jr., Brian Robisky, Brian Hartline. I mean, those are five NFL receivers I just named for Troy as weapons. And I know, like, they didn't do, they were more a little more static. They didn't have the receivers on the move as much. But I think we saw a version, we gave an idea, I think we have an idea maybe of what Troy in a Ryan Day-like system would have been. Terrell Pryor in Urban Meyer's system, if it, if it if you really drilled down on, let's make this guy great with his, you know, the mesh point and the handoffs and the ball handling skills, who's got the ball, I would go with Terrell there. I just think that was, I think Tressel's offense came much closer to maximizing Troy Smith than it came to maximizing Terrell Pryor. So I think that's also part of why the idea of of having a system like Urban's that really would have leaned into the running skills of Terrell Pryor leads me to that answer. All right, this is another one. It's good. 
from the 615. I haven't heard this mentioned, but with the offensive line being less talented than normal, what impact does that have on the tight ends? For instance, less catching opportunities for Cade Stover because he'll be blocking more? Will G. Scott see less playing time because his potential spot will be used by a sixth offensive lineman or a fullback? So I actually do think you might end up in 12 personnel. More, I actually do think as much as we said, hey, G and Cade are different styles of tight ends. They're both tight ends. But also, you want those three receivers on the field. I actually think this is a really good... I, I like questions, and I'm not going to pretend we know for sure, right? I like questions when this thing is true, what's the effect on the other people around them? I do wonder if maybe it would have more an effect on like the deep passing game, some of the play action downfield stuff where you've got to protect. You've got to protect to let these double move longer developing routes emerge and if you can't protect you're never going to get a chance to to get marvin harrison jr down the sideline for 50 yards with the with the deep ball in the air because you can't hang in and do it now a lot of times especially that under center play action stuff that we've at various times seen work really really well chris olave was a stud at that right we we know justin fields to chris olave that worked a lot play action under center play action deep shot it makes the world go round, but you've got to protect it. But you can max protect that sometimes, right? That sometimes when you will have six or seven guys staying in and block because you only need two or three guys in the route because you're pretty sure you're taking your shot, a little bit of a do or die ball. But so I, I think it's a smart question about do the tight ends wind up having more responsibility in pass protection? And you'll just have with such veteran receivers, maybe you don't need as many options because it's like, well, if we're putting Julian Emeka and Marvin in the route, somebody's going to get open. So maybe Cade doesn't need to be in the route. He can block. Maybe the running back doesn't need to be in the route. He can stay in and block. I think it's a good question, but I almost wonder if the effect is on the deeper, on the deep passing game where you've got to hang in and protect longer. Maybe you wind up with situations where you're just getting the ball out of your hands more quickly. And then maybe sometimes you want to make sure you have a running back or a tight end underneath and around because they're going to be a safety valve to get the ball out, to get to a check down. If it's not there, I got to get rid of it because maybe I don't know if my offensive line is going to hold up. But I do think that's part of the equation for this, right? And I also saw, I, I, I didn't grab it for this one. I'll save it. Someone thought we were too harsh on the offensive line in the offensive depth chart. Uh, breakdown. So I'll grab that one when the three of us are back together and we can discuss that. But for now, I think it's uh, I think it's a point well taken that if we maybe agree, at least there are questions on the offensive line, what's the effect of that is, it, is an important way to think about that. So we are back now. This is our fourth pot of this week. We did four this week. As you know, last week, we only did one. We did the one on Monday and then no pods for a week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This Monday, we were off. So five in a row off from this 813, my rant is I just went through the most boring week of work, workouts, eating lunch, etc. all caps, because there was no Buckeye talk. I had to resort to lesser pods to fill the time and it just wasn't the same. I know you guys need breaks, but selfishly, I need the pods because they help me get through the day and provide wonderful insight and entertainment. I have been a listener since the beginning and can't believe there was a time when we only got one pod a week. All that being said, glad to have you guys back from the 813. Very kind. We wanted you to miss us. Uh, rant, you three are never allowed to take vacation again. This is from the 425, period. I can't tell you how messed up my routine was last week. It was awful. I was so lost. I didn't know the day of the week. My kids' names escaped me. 
I was potting orange juice and putting orange juice in my cereal. And by Friday morning, I woke up in the wrong house. This is rough. I was forced to go to other Ohio State football pods for my fix and listen to old men who probably still call their laptops typewriters gripe about how bad things are for Ohio State football and how Ryan Day will never be as good as Woody. Ugh. Subjective negativity was unbearable. It's, that's actually good to hear because I think people sometimes, we hear sometimes that people are frustrated with our subjective negativity. And it's like, oh, you went and found podcasts that were even more negative. Okay, good. Anyhow, that's the new rule. No vacations. That's from Brian in Snoqualmie, Washington. P.S. This was just a fun way of saying that you guys are great and you're missed. Thank you for everything, and I hope you enjoyed the break. So we don't do that much. We probably won't do it quite like that again for a while. Our, our good friend Brad Smith, who's been a loyal listener for a long time, sent me a message right as we were leaving. It was like, hey, you had said, you know, go back and listen to old pods. Maybe you could just actually like repurpose old pods and do sort of like best of Buckeye talk and put them up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And it was like, by that point is like my brain was shut down. And I was like, that's extra work. I'm not doing, I'm not doing it. It's too late. Maybe if we plan a little bit better next time, if we take a break. And again, we've never done it. I don't know that we'll go a whole week for a while, for at least a year. I mean, it, it, we won't, we won't go a whole week. I, I like, I think I could promise that. We won't go a whole week off for at least another year. Maybe this would be the window, sort of the season's wrapped up before you start springing ahead to the next season. But maybe next time we can do Best of, Buc best of Buckeye Talk. I hope some of you went and found the Best of Buckeye Talk. I talked about Terrell Pryor again. I think maybe of all the Buckeye Talks we've done, it's over a thousand. You know, some of the best responses to the one when Adam Jardy, my good friend from the Columbus Dispatch, was my guest, and we broke down the Terrell Pryor recruitment and looked back on that. You guys really liked that one. So maybe you went back and found that. Maybe you went back and found some other old Buckeye talks. I'll do this one before the break because then it'll cleanse the palate. It's about me being a jerk. Jared in Brooklyn. Rather than being a jerk and being proud of it, am I proud of it? Pride? I don't know if pride is the right word to describe. I acknowledge that I am how do I say this? I think I am a jerk and sometimes it comes out and I'm aware of when it comes out. Am I proud of it? Pro no, I actually probably am. But I certainly am aware of it and I don't want to pretend that it's not there and I'm not going to hide from it. So, so maybe not quite pride, but anyway. Rather than being a jerk and being proud of it, would you consider being professional with your colleagues? When discussing Dylan Royola's decommitment and its relation to Matt Rule's hire, you referred to Stephen as the recruiting expert with extreme condensation. Um, condescension, not condensation. I didn't rain on Steven. Condescension. It's gross and obnoxious. I know you're capable because different Doug shows up on the playoff pod and is quite different. Um, Steven and Nathan are your actual co-workers. What world do you live in where you think it's okay to be disrespectful to the people you work and speak with every day? Do listeners actually want to hear you do that to your colleagues? And if you don't respect them, why should we? And now you've finally done the same with Shahan. So I had said that on the Survivor Show this week, Shahan got mad at me because I was so vehement with my case for the postseason Heisman. He disagreed and it drove him nuts. Yes, most humans are going to be mad at you if you treat them like crap. So let your co-hosts finish their thoughts and then give your take without the derision. It will be a better discussion and it won't be so uncomfortable to listen to. You don't need to be a jerk to let your personality come through. That's Jared in Brooklyn. As I often say, I feel like we are sort of a therapists for you guys sometimes when you're particularly frustrated about your team and we're trying to 
just offer some advice or help guide you through it. Maybe that was, a, you know, Jared was being my therapist there a little bit. So the thing is, like, I am who I am. I'm probably not going to change at this point. I don't try to be a jerk. It's not my intent. I do, as I said, I sometimes feel like I am at my jerkiness when I really feel like I have a point, and then I feel like if the other person on the other side of the discussion doesn't have as much evidence backing up their point, I really don't like discussions that are like, why do you think that? I just think it because I think it. And that's not, I'm not saying that's what anybody does, but sometimes if I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Your, your rationale that doesn't make any sense, it riles me up. So the other thing is I actually think you're worse with the people you know better, right? Aren't we? Don't, doesn't everybody like treat their family like crap, you go out in the world and you're nice to strangers, and then you get home and you're like, ugh, these are the people I love, right? We shouldn't, but don't we? So I think the idea that like I'm more of a jerk here, where it's the people I do work with every day, and it's the the the, the team that I cover every day, as opposed to the national show, where actually I have never met Shahan in person. We only talk on Zoom. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a a really good person, and I think he's a really smart college football analyst. And he has actually a lot of the time a better grasp on like the full-throated national college football scene than I do. So I also kind of nod to his knowledge on that because he is a national college football writer, and I'm not. You know, I'm a, I guess I'm a national college football host, but I'm also kind of this first. So anyway, the point is, my intention. How do I even say this? My intention is not to be a jerk, but also my intention, it is not my intention to be a jerk. However, it is also not my intention to avoid being a jerk. So if it comes out at times, I understand if it comes out too much, people are going to stop listening because it's not fun. I think discomfort is interesting at times. And in the end, it's just podding. So I don't, like, I'll come after somebody on a pod. And it's not like I don't mean it. But it's like, we're just having a discussion. It's just like you having a discussion at a bar and you argue about the topic and then it's like, okay, and now we're back to normal. So I am like very, I mean, people, I feel like I would take that and be like, that's, yeah, do that. Like have a really strong opinion where you super disagree with me and disrespect my opinion. You think I'm an idiot on this. And then we're done pod and we're done pod and it's all good. So I, um, I maybe take that too far. I maybe think like, that's just pod and it doesn't matter what you say. And it's like, well, it's still words. It's still words, Doug. It's still people. Potting is people. So anyway, also, maybe I just need to be called out. And uh, if you guys call me out in a rant, then I'm going to read it because it's a good rant. So Jared and Brooklyn, good rant. When we come back, we need to talk about Joe Burrow's place with Ohio State. We need to talk about some injuries for Ohio State. A little more Heisman discussion, bloodlust, and horses next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Let's talk about Joe Burrow. From the 813, I understand you are Cleveland.com, and we are. But half of Ohio is Bengals fans. My rant is on Joe Burrow being the biggest choke miss of a player who not just played there but graduated, saying Ohio State blew it on Joe Burrow. I saw a few crazy throws and a passionate leader during that spring game, but I guess Ryan Day missed it and went with Haskins. He will always be the coach who let Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, leave his quarterback room. I don't have a handle on how... So, Ryan Day wasn't the head coach. Urban Meyer was. That we know. It's the head coach's decision. I don't think Ryan Day disagreed with the decision. But even if he did, I don't know that he could have overruled Urban. If Ryan Day was like, I don't know, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. I don't know. I think Urban was kind of... So, Urban like wanted to throw it better, right? Like, Urban... And I think there was, I, again, I can remember I wrote it right after the spring game. There's a throw Dwayne made in the spring game. And it felt like I didn't know if Joe could make that throw. And it's like, well, you got to go with that guy. If you're trying to evolve to throw the ball in a certain way. And I thought Joe was actually a little more like, certainly more like JT Barrett than Dwayne was. But the Joe was kind of in between Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett. Like, this guy will run zone read. This guy's this guy's athletic. This guy this guy will run through you. And the, the thrower, the thrower... The passer, the reader of defenses that Joe Burrow developed into, I just don't know if, if that was there. It's not, I mean, of course it was there. It was inside. I don't know that that was shown a ton at Ohio State, maybe just by opportunity. And then a lot of stuff comes sometimes as opportunity, right? With, like Brock Purdy, what he's doing with San Francisco right now, if, there's aren't, if there aren't multiple injuries to Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, he never shows this. And you don't know. So Joe Burrow, I think, maybe had to leave to show what he could do. I think maybe that's how it had to be. Now, if he would have stayed, so if Dwayne didn't exist, but I do think the leader probably was in there. And there's a lot of that with Joe Burrow. Like that attitude, the Joe Shiesty, the 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 guy with some drip that sort of rallies his teammates, that was there. And all those guys loved Joe all the way. And I'm not saying Dwayne didn't have that, but I think that you did see. But you just wondered, was the upside as a passer, wasn't high, as high as Dwayne. That was the view then. That was my view. I think it was their, well, I think it, it was their view. It's why they made that choice. And I do think that's defensible. So like, how how could you not see it? It's kind of hard. It's just kind of hard to see it until it happens. So, and then Joe really did develop. So I don't think it's unfair to say this, like what a miss, I do think when it is talked about nationally, like, oh, Urban Meyer's a guy like Joe Burr, you know, tell Joe Burr to get out of here or whatever. The shorthand of it for people who didn't follow it, I think that's a little too dismissive. It's not like there, it was not like people in the moment were like, well, that was an idiotic move. It's kind of what everybody thought. Could the coaches on the inside have peered inside their quarterbacks and maybe made it because if they would have picked Burrow over Haskins right then and Haskins would have transferred, there would have been an uproar. But that's maybe sometimes you make the tough decision because you have more information. You're on the inside. You pick Burrow, there's an uproar, and then it's like, oh, 
then Burrow becomes Burrow, and you're like, that's what they saw. There's certainly a door that was open for that to happen. So I don't blame Ohio State. I don't think it was a choke job to not pick him or not see it. I understand why they didn't, especially why, because he was hurt for part of that year in 2017. I understand all of that, but certainly they still could have done it. They could have made the great call, the defining call. That perhaps changes the trajectory of a bunch of careers, Urban Meyer included. I don't know. Maybe they have a national title. So I think there's a way to acknowledge that they could have picked Joe Burrow without blaming them for not picking Joe Burrow. Does that make sense? My rant from the 513, from the 513, my rant is that the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl and the rest of Ohio should jump on the bandwagon. Why does so much of Cincinnati have a rivalry against the rest of Ohio and why does a lot of Ohio have a rivalry against Cincinnati? I don't understand why so many people in Cincinnati hate Ohio State and why so many Ohio State fans hate Cincinnati. So that's part of it, right? I, 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 I mean, I've lived in the state for 18 years. I didn't grow up here. But I do think, right, it's just, and it's hard for me because I have obviously, we're Cleveland.com. We're not Cincinnati.com. I'm not going to pretend I've been to Cincinnati. I haven't spent a ton of time in Cincinnati. But we all know that that perception does exist. However, I do think there's an opportunity to overcome that because Joe Burrow, but also because Von Bell, Eli Apple, Sam Hubbard, Isaiah Prince, Billy Price isn't there anymore, but he was for a while. Michael Jordan isn't there anymore, but he was for a while. This is an Ohio State heavy team. Sam Hubbard is balling out for the Bengals. Ohio State fans love Sam Hubbard. Vaughn Bell is balling out for the Bengals. Ohio State fans love Vaughn Bell. Eli Apple is the loudest guy in that Ohio State locker room. Ohio State fans know that, Eli Apple. I think this should be an opening. And I think they're very likable. Now, Eli's chirps, Eli chirps, but it's in a pretty, um, it's not lighthearted because he's going after the Bills this week, but it's like in a fun way, right? We know where it comes from. And so, but like Von Bell, I mean, Von Bell's one of my favorite guys I've covered at Ohio State, and that guy has been an absolute stud in the NFL. He's a huge part of the Bengals' success. Von Bell is a great player, and he is a great dude. Sam Hubbard is a great player, and he is a great dude. And the Burrow thing's the Burrow thing. So I hope there's a pathway for people who maybe had felt this before to open. I think the whole state should be open to it. Let Ohio State open the door to the Bengals, because guess what? They're fun as heck, man. Aren't they fun? Huh. Burrow, Chase, T. Higgins, they're fun, man. DJ Reader, they're fun. So, yeah. Let, let that change. I think it should. I think there's a lot of people in Ohio who love football who should have, and especially the Deshaun Watson situation was serious enough and complicated enough and not fun. And the Bengals are like pure fun right now. The Bengals are an amusement park ride. And so I know it's impossible. Like if you're a Browns fan, like, what are you talking about? You want me to like the Bengals while being a Browns fan? I know, I know how sports works, but man, aren't they fun to observe? Isn't Joe Burrow fun? Right? Isn't Von Bell fun? I just think, I think there's an opening there for, for people to get a lot of football enjoyment out of a team in this state. So I completely agree. Let the Ohio State connection there open doors that maybe have been closed in the past. Last one about this topic. From the 513. The whole is Joe Burrow a Buckeye debate. 
Well, of course he is. I remember him being part of the quarterback room of discussion when he was here and wondering if he would ever eventually be the guy. I remember being disappointed when he got injured and wasn't really able to compete with Dwayne Haskins. Again, hurt his finger early in 17. Dwayne was the backup in 17. Dwayne had the lead going into the spring of 18. Joe now says he's a Buckeye, although what he's what's he supposed to say as a quarterback of an Ohio NFL team? He was back. Like Joe has been back. I don't it's not lip service with Joe. Joe does feel that connection. It's not lip service. But this is where it ends. He's a Buckeye, but in name only. I'm so sick of seeing lists of Buckeyes in the NFL and seeing Joe's name on there. He's no more Buckeye in the NFL than Justin Fields is a Georgia Bulldog. Yes, Joe was here longer than Justin was at Georgia, but they both had the same impact on those programs, which is next to nothing. Don't get me wrong. I would love to claim Joe. Who wouldn't? But LSU fans have every right to yell, uh, no, he's a Tiger because Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow because of what he did at LSU. Last thought. The Jalen Hurts discussion is completely different. He was a starter and major contributor to both Alabama and Oklahoma. They can both claim him. Okay, I'm done. But dang, I wish we could claim Burrow. So I, I love this discussion. I, I I don't love the discussion. A lot of stuff is semantics. Is he not or is he or whatever? It's like, I don't know. He's came back to Ohio Stadium and everybody loves him. Everybody remembers him. I would define it like this. I absolutely think Ohio State can, fans, program can, should claim Joe Burrow the person. They love that guy. The guys who played with him at Ohio State love Joe Burrow. The fans love Joe Burrow. Everybody loves Joe Burrow. Claim Joe Burrow the person. Hard to claim Joe Burrow the player. Joe Burrow the player came out at LSU. That's credit to LSU for surrounding him with great talent, for developing him. That's credit to Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. It's credit to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and all the weapons he had there. All credit to LSU for that. So is that separating anything? Joe Burrow, he's our guy. We welcome him back. But Joe Burrow's success, his stats, his Heisman, his rings, no, right? We understand that. But the dude, bring him back, man. If you put like, Joe Burrow in Ohio Stadium, raise his arm to the crowd, awesome. But like a list on TV of great Buckeyes in the NFL, to put him out there with Garrett Wilson and Nick and Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott, then no. I agree with that. I think that's the way to do it. Player, yes. No, player, no. Person, yes. Turf questions. We've been talking about this. We haven't asked about it yet. It's our fault. From the 214, I'm very concerned about the new turf and the injuries. I don't believe in coincidences. The amount of injuries this year seems unprecedented. Would love to know if anyone has looked into the stats on this. I suspect the Buckeyes have, but I'm wondering if a news outlet has. Worth doing. One commentator recently said there is no way Gene Smith will replace the turf because of the cost. I would love to know. I don't have insight on that decision. I actually don't think that's true. I think they would. I think if they're if the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association says this turf is a concern and NFL teams are replacing it, I do think Ohio State will replace it. They don't get held back by money a ton. And they're feeling the pinch. The COVID pinch is still there. I get it. But I... I don't think, and I do think that's where you hold them accountable. It's like you can't talk about all the things you do for player health and safety and player welfare and then put them on a turf practicing and playing that has been deemed unacceptable in the NFL. You can't do it. So I do think maybe initially if they were reluctant to do it, if other, I, they won't be the first. It's not like Ohio State changes turf and nobody else does. But if the NFL's changing the turf because of a study, they're going to have to. They're either going to do it immediately and come to their own conclusion, or there's going to be pressure to do it. And we have to put that pressure on. If you think, if you honestly think 
Because the number one thing is the safety of the players. For their own, this is their one life, their one career. You have to keep them safe. But also it hurts the team. So I do think it's another thing that we, we've said and we have to continue to talk about and look into. Matt from California, given the events of this past season, I think it is officially time to retire the abducted by aliens phrase. It's been a pretty unfortunate run of injury luck with key players being out in the most important games of the past four years. 2019, banged up fields for Michigan, the Big Ten title game, and Clemson. Dobbins hurt versus Clemson. 2020, Olave out for the Big Ten title game. Sermon out on the first play of the title game against Alabama. Tyreek Smith and Togiai out with uh, COVID-19. COVID Jackson Smith out for the season in 2022. Travion Amayan essentially out for Michigan in the playoff. Cade Stover out for most of the Georgia game. Marvin Harrison, too, out for the fourth quarter. Who can argue that retiring abducted by aliens and coming up with a more clever replacement is the best way to fix this issue and lead to a fully healthy 2023? Looking forward to an offseason full of completely useless rants like this. Hope you guys enjoyed the time away and keep up the great work from the 949 Matt in California. Open for suggestions. The new way for us to say, what if a player gets injured? We only, I think we only use abducted by aliens in the theoretical sense. We don't want to jinx anybody by saying, what if this player gets hurt? It's like, you don't want to say that. So we say, what if this player gets abducted by aliens? Then what would happen? When a player has actually been hurt, we don't say Jackson Smith and <laughs> Someone said, hey, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, wasn't he supposed to be the best player in college football? What happened to him in 2022? Oh, you know what? He's abducted by aliens. People are like, what? He was a... No, he actually was hurt. So when it's actual something, we can say it was an injury. We just don't talk about it in the theoretical standpoint. So I do think I've been watching, I think How I Met Your Mother is my favorite show ever. been watching a lot of that. They do that all the time where they have a phrase that stands in for something. Jason Siegel just had his baby poop all over his face and they, it, it was confetti. I probably shouldn't say that. That's why they did it on the show. They shot confetti on him, right? So it's a stand-in. So we can come up with a better stand-in for injuries, potential injuries, better than abducted by aliens. So you could say like, maybe like, oh, maybe that guy has a class or, um, well, that's not a very good one. It's on, you now. you guys come up with it. Sorry. I, I will, and we'll, we'll adopt it. We'll keep our eyes out. You can text us 614-350-3315. You sign up there. Anybody who already is a tech subscriber, send us suggestions. A better phrase than abducted by aliens to talk about potential injuries. And yes, I'll take the blame on that, that us using that phrase has caused Ohio State to have injuries. I, I think that's probably true. From the 513, this is a little bit of the Heisman discussion, again, that we had on the College Football Survivor Show that I talked about on the Thursday pod with the Ezekiel Elliott. Would he have won the Heisman in 2014? I think I would be a fan of the Heisman taking in the whole season and the Maxwell Award, the Davey O'Brien, et cetera, being before the Bulls, those being the regular season awards from the 513. That is really good. So you're handing out individual awards, right? Thorpe Award for Best Defensive Back, Outland Trophy, Lombardi Trophy, Davey O'Brien for the quarterbacks, Boletnikoff for the receivers, all these individual awards. You're handing those out based on the regular season. And you're giving people understanding of, hey, and actually it would add, it would add to the importance of those awards because there no longer would be like, oh, who is the best quarterback that regular season? Because a lot of times like, well, it's the guy who won the Heisman too, but it's a big deal. So you could have a situation where Caleb Williams won the Davey Bryan award because at the end of the regular season, people would have said that's the best quarterback. 
And then when you did the Heisman, now you're taking in all those other things. Maybe Stetson Bennett wins. They say, well, how did Caleb Williams win the Davey O'Brien? Stetson Bennett wasn't the best quarterback, but he was the Heisman winner. It's like, ah, we took the whole season. The first one was just the regular season. I really like that because I think it adds status to things. I don't think there's a downside to that, right? This is the kind of, that's really good, really good idea. Really, really good. From the 614, listening to the college football playoff show now, I agree with Doug that the postseason should count towards the Heisman, but I disagree that Caleb Williams would have won this year if the playoff counted. You said the Heisman should tell the story of the year, and in 10 years, people would not remember Caleb Williams. For this year, maybe next year they will. Stetson Bennett and that Georgia team was the story. Caleb Williams won because no one else took it at the time when it was voted, right? No one else did take it. And as I said, I did it in the College Football Survivor Show. I don't, I, in, the, in the playoff era, the nine years of the playoff, I think Caleb Williams is like the 13th or 15th best Heisman candidate. It was a bad year for the Heisman. He won because no one took it. That is a fact. That is true. Because previously, seven of the eight Heisman winners were in the playoff. He's not in the playoff. His team was really good. And his stats were good, but they weren't like, indisputable like Lamar Jackson, who was the guy who had won it without making the playoff. So that's true. No one else took it. Stetson then took it. And voters would have made him the Heisman winner if they could. So I, I mean, if you haven't listened to it by now, both Shahan and I said we still would have voted for Caleb Williams, even after the postseason. The stats are overwhelming. His overall stats are so far above Stetson Bennett's. That that still does matter. That still does matter. But the argument here that he wasn't a great Heisman winner. Nobody took it, so he kind of won it by default. And then Stetson took it. Okay. Like, how... I just don't think that's bad. Because I, I the texture is right. I do think the Heisman tells the story of the season. So why is that bad? Oh, Stetson Bennett took the Heisman away from Caleb Williams. Oh, that's too bad. Sorry, Caleb. What did Stetson Bennett do to take it? He threw for 300-plus yards in two playoff games and led his team to back-to-back national titles. Oh, um, maybe he should take it then. So I think, this, I think those are two really smart additions to that discussion. So thanks to you guys for sending those along. And we'll, we'll continue having that a little bit this offseason. I'm not going to bore you with it, but... I'm going to keep talking about I'm going to keep working on it. I may not talk about it here all the time. I'll keep working on that. Another rant from the 307. With the returning production on offense and knowing how Ryan Day develops quarterbacks, I want to see the same bloodlust from Ryan Day in 2023 that he showed in the game against Georgia this year. 2020 year. I ruined it. This is like the tagline. 2023, the year of bloodlust. That's not me. That was written in the text from 307. So... I think I've told you guys this. I do just think more than we realize, Ryan Day wants to avoid mistakes. In games, and this is goes back a little bit to Jim Trestle stuff. When you have the talent edge, you just want to make sure you don't blow it. So Trestle wants to win with special teams and defense. Why? Because he knows he has the better players. And then, this was the whole Jim Trestle era discussion once after they beat Miami in 2 When they, I mean, they had... a one of the greatest years in college football history, obviously. 06 and 07, the entire discussion is equal talent games. What do you do? Why can't they match up? Well, most of the time in the Big Ten, it's not equal talent games. They have the talent edge. They do what they do. Then when there is equal talent, they can't get over the top. I'm not saying Ryan Day is Trestle, but he does think about that, I think. I think he takes that into account. Why would we have bloodlust when if we just have normal blood or normal lust and not combine them, 
we're going to win. Because he has not lost to Purdue and has not lost to Iowa. They haven't lost those games. Right? They lost to Oregon with a young quarterback and a bad defense, and they lost to two good Michigan teams. That's who they've lost to in the regular season. That's who they've lost to. Oregon and two good Michigan teams. That's who they've lost to. So I think this mostly applies to Michigan, and it maybe it's part of, do you view Michigan more like other Big Ten foes where you have a talent edge, and if you just don't screw up, you're going to win? Or should you view Michigan more like Georgia, where it's equal talent, you've got to do something to get over the top? I understand maybe viewing Michigan more like those, because they were. The previous 20 years, Michigan wasn't an equal talent game. That's not an equal talent game. It's a rivalry game, but it's not an equal talent game. So don't screw up and you'll win. Well, I would say it's not still an equal talent game, but it is a closer talent game. When you have Aiden Hutchinson, when you have Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, when you have J.J. McCarthy, when you have Dax Hill, when you have Mike Morris, I guess Mike Morris didn't play this year, right? But when you have those players, it's close enough to talent that maybe you've got to have more bloodlust. So I do think, again, what? how does Ryan Day talk about it? Against George and Clemson, if you just say, oh, no, we'll just kind of do what we do, whatever, you're not going to win. You've got to do more because they're, they have better talent than you or at least equal talent. So how do you apply Georgia specifically to Michigan? Because we're not – the other times, again, when people are frustrated with, oh, why, why didn't Ohio State win by more? Why didn't they look better? That's the Jim Trestle era in a nutshell. But you're winning. So – Maybe there's a little bit more bloodlust learned from the Georgia game that can be applied through the whole year, but maybe there's a lot of bloodlust that can be applied to Michigan. And maybe you tweak that thinking. And it's not rivalry thinking. So much after the Michigan loss this year when we did the Michigan podcast and we took suggestions, so much of that is rivalry thinking. To me, if you're applying more bloodlust, let's go. We know what that means. You know what it means. You watch the Georgia game. We know what that looks like. If you're applying that to Michigan, that's not because they're Michigan. It's because they have good players. It's because you need to to get over the top. I think that's in, I think that's an interesting idea. And I think it's a very interesting text from our texter. So thanks for sending that along. Rant. It looks like Ryan Day from the 858. Ryan Day always steals fool's gold from Mike Gundy. Gets the guy unnecessarily angry, for which we don't give a darn that Mike Gundy gets mad that Ohio State takes his coordinators. But we are not getting world beaters in the process. 2019, Mike Yurcich, he's the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. He's supposed to be a great uh, OC steal from fake OSU. So now this text is referring to Oklahoma State as fake OSU. We get him here, but without calling plays, and apparently he was not great to work with. 2022, we get Knowles. He improves the defense from the Combs era, which doesn't say much, but it's still not a top-level defense, especially against equal competition. And it can be argued it's the main reason for the debacle in Columbus and the playoff heartbreak. Knowles should still have a chance to rectify this main point, but should they look elsewhere and away from the Mike Gundy tree next time we want to get a coordinator to avoid this unrewarding coordinator pity theft? It's our guy, Colin, who always has great ideas. I think it's mostly coincidental that they got Mike Yurcich was the Oklahoma State offensive coordinator. It's the hire that Ryan Day makes basically to replace himself when he becomes the head coach in 2019. It's a one-year hire. Now Mike Yurcich is at Penn State. And then Knowles. Now, the one thing, and the thing I think maybe, and this is hard, you have to thread the needle with this. When you're hiring Oklahoma State coordinators, there's not a risk there. They're a Power 5 team. They're playing Power 5 competition. There's no questions. You know what's up with them. So 
I think the the what Kyle is getting at here is searching a little bit more for diamonds in the rough that aren't taking sort of the obvious candidate. And actually, that's what Mike Gundy does. Because Mike Gundy hired Mike Yursich from Shippensburg. That's like a Division II school in Pennsylvania. He just hired a new offense, a new defensive coordinator because the, the guy they brought in after Knowles, Derek Mason, uh, is taking a taking time off from coaching. So he left after a year. They hired a new guy, and they're bringing in a guy from Gannon University. So Mike Yursich, his he owes his whole career to this version of his career to Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy plucked him out of obscurity, and now he just plucked Brian Nardo from Division II Gannon University in the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference, same conference as Shippensburg, to be his, be his new defensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley was a hot name at East Carolina, and a lot of people wanted him, but when he got hired at Oklahoma, he's jumping from East Carolina. Tom Herman was a hot name. Got hired from Iowa State. Iowa State's in the same conference as Oklahoma State. So what's the difference? Well, there's a difference between Oklahoma State and Iowa State, especially Iowa State back then. That's a little more of a risk, I think, by Urban Meyer to hire Tom Herman. And we saw how that paid off. So I think the thing we can learn, and this is hard, but for Ryan Day to say, like, I have a guy. And I'm not, I don't think Knowles, we, we can't, everybody celebrated the Knowles hire when it happened. The defense got better. They made the playoff. And to be like, oh, that was a terrible hire. It wasn't. But it was an obvious hire. They just outbid everybody. Everybody wanted Jim Knowles. Ohio State was willing to pay more. The next time, and then we've talked about the guys in-house. Right? We know that. Corey Dennis, Parker Fleming, and now Keenan Bailey. So I would be, now Perry Eliano from Cincinnati, but again, that's a good hire. I like the Perry Eliano hire. Liked it then, like it now. He's there at Cincinnati. Right? I mean, Good hire, but not a shock. Tim Walton, Ohio State player in the NFL. I would be curious for the next time they really need a guy, like a big-time staff hire, and Ryan Day says, I hired this guy from blank that you maybe you don't know much about, and maybe you don't know much about the school that he worked at, but he's great. And then he comes and is great. He makes his Mike Yurcich kind of higher, like a little, like an off the radar nail. Tom Herman, Tom Herman's not as far off the radar as Mike Yurcich was coming from Shippensburg to Oklahoma State, but Tom Herman's a little off the radar, nailed it. I mean, Urban Meyer nailed that. I don't know if Ohio State wins the national title in 2014 without Tom Herman. Urban Meyer said, I want up tempo. I want to get up tempo. I've learned about it, but I want somebody who's an expert at it. And this is a guy who was on his way up because Tom Herman was working his way up. Like Oklahoma, Iowa State's a peak for him. Had been working his way up, work his way up. And then, boom, makes a jump. So it's hard sometimes. I mean, it's, again, one of those things. Sometimes I get mad when I'm a jerk. Sometimes I get mad if they hire guys who don't have enough experience. I'm like, why are they hiring Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming when they don't have enough experience? And now I'm saying, hey, how come Ryan Day didn't hire a coordinator from Gannon University? What's wrong with him? He hired the Oklahoma State guy. So when something works, you're a genius. When it doesn't work, you're an idiot. And it doesn't matter the reason behind it or the background of the person. But I would be curious for that. You know, like, hey, I've got a guy. As opposed to sort of anybody could have picked out Mike Yersich or, or Jim Knowles. So it's a test for Ryan Day. I think it's a test that 
it's not that he hasn't passed it yet. He just hasn't taken it yet. He hasn't taken that test yet. So, uh, but if Kyle is on alert for Gundy, for Gundy foisting coordinators onto Ohio State, I think I think we all can be uh, a little a little uh, aware of that. Thanks to Colin, Doug. You seem to have a fix for everything. Well, I think the way to phrase that is, I think I have a fix for everything. So fix load management in sports, primarily NBA. Most recently, the Warriors sat three future Hall of Famers of their next best player in Cleveland. Kids likely got tickets for that game as Christmas presents, and turned and it turned into that. Is there something that can be done to stop that? Scheduling errors? Reduce the amount of games they play? I don't know but it, what it is, but it's sad to see. Not as important, but if a bet is placed before the load management announced, that really stinks too. Thanks for all you do, Ryan from the 513. So I do think this stinks. You guys know, I listen to Bill Simmons a lot on his podcast. They just had a long conversation about this. That was a little bit of a breaking point for them. There have been some breaking point moments with load management in the NBA. I do think if your season, if you've reached the point where regular season games can be viewed as that meaningless, your season's too long or your playoffs are too big. But the problem is they're all money makers. The more teams make the playoffs, the more playoff games you have, that makes money. The longer the regular season is, the more games you have, that makes money. So I do think that's the problem. I Like, you know you're going to make the playoff. Who cares? It's only one game of 82, and six teams make the playoff in each conference, and another four make the play-in. The Warriors, like, they don't care. So how do you get to a point where you can make it that you don't have... I'm less interested in rules about forcing teams to play guys, and I'm less interested in that, and I'm more interested in creating a structure for your sport where there aren't meaningless games. Where sitting out your four best players will hurt you. Has a potential to hurt you. So I think you could do things where in the playoffs, the larger the spread is between two teams playing in a playoff series, that affects how many home games the better seed gets. Maybe it's not 4-3. Maybe if you have... 10 more wins or 12 more wins than another team, now it's 5-2. If you have 20 more wins than the team you're playing, now it's 6-1 or something, right? I think you could do stuff with that. I certainly am in favor of shortening the regular season in every sport that's not football. I think the NBA season is too long. The baseball season is so ridiculously long. It's, it's unbelievable. But this is the problem. You want to create more opportunity for people. It's it's not unlike what we're experiencing in college football, the debate people are having. By opening up the playoff, you're reducing the importance of the regular season. Well, still, college football's regular, regular season is still infinitely more important than any other sport. Because even in the NFL, it's like, ah, oh, the Chiefs lost to the Colts. That didn't matter. Right now, college football still, and I still think in the 12-team playoff, infinitely the most important regular season. Everybody makes the NCAA basketball tournament. All the best teams know they're going to make the NFL playoffs. Everybody makes it in the NBA. They're expanding Major League Baseball playoffs. So it's an argument about expanding playoffs versus keeping the regular season meaningful. That's the argument. And if you go too far, you turn regular season games into meaningless exhibitions, even though they count in the standings. That's where the NBA is. I think that's what they have to address. You have too many games that don't matter. They're not going to shrink the playoffs. That that haze out of the barn. So I think you have to give greater advantages to teams with better records or you have to shorten the regular season so each game matters that much more in the percentage of your overall record. 
And if you can't do that, I do think, and this is they talked about on the Ringer, they talked uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast, they talked about this. Maybe just make it so you're not nobody plays back-to-back games. Like a lot of times, if you're on the road, when you sit guys, it's on the second day of a back-to-back where you're playing two consecutive games. Don't do that. Don't don't ever have those. That's that's too much to ask. So, but I think if you're like fining teams somehow or doing something like that because they're resting their players, your your structure's wrong. Okay, that's it for sports, but we got a lot of horse talk. More than I would ever imagine. Although, frankly, as Buckeye talk, you never know what you're going to get. We'll be back with horsing talk after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so I sent on a survey to tech subscribers. We had briefly talked about riding horses. I cannot believe how many people ride horses. I am missing something. Have you ever ridden a horse, a real live horse, in any manner at any point in your life from birth until now? Yes or no? Simple yes or no. Try to guess in your head. What do you think it is? 84% yes. 84% yes. Meaningful. Meaningful riding of a horse, right? Meaningful, not just like I was at the fair and somebody led me around in a circle, right? 66% yes. Two-thirds of you with meaningful horse riding. Meaningful horse riding. Have you ridden a horse as an adult? 18 or over, 50-50. So there is more horse riding in our younger days. But still half of adults in this survey have ridden. And is it or does it sound fun? If you've done it, you think, yeah, it's fun. If you haven't done it, you think, no, it sounds fun. 66%, yeah, I'm in. 21%, 21%, I did it and I don't like it. 14%, I haven't done it and I have no interest. But two-thirds in on horses. So this, I, we have cars, right? We're a car society. There's a lot, I've now confused, I think there are people my age. There are so many bike lanes everywhere. I'm all for it. My daughter's college, there's a bike lane. So when you're crossing the street, the bike lane, there's a, they created a bike lane nearest to the curb, and then there's the, the lane for cars. So I jaywalk sometimes among my f- many faults. I occasionally jaywalk. You look out. I have a don't walk, but there's no cars in sight. So you look, you look, there's no cars, and you go, but it is not yet registered in my brain to look for bikes. I think I am going to be hit by a bike at some point bef- between now and my death. It actually might lead to my death. And I'm, I know that could be like a bad thing. I don't want to hurt a cyclist. 
but it's not locked in. I, I do do things in my life when I'm going to make sure I, if I don't want to forget something, I'll tell myself, lock it in, lock this in. Don't forget this. And then usually I'm pretty good. I'm a forgetful person with a terrible memory otherwise. But if I lock it in, I'm usually okay. And then there are times when I forget something and I think I didn't lock it in. I've got to lock in, look for bikes. Because then I was in New York City last weekend. And there are bike lanes in New York City. And there's a lot of bikers. There's delivery people on bikes. There's also just people riding bikes. And again, you're looking for cabs. It's busy. I try not to jaywalk in New York City because I don't trust myself. You know, I'm not in that much of a hurry. I don't want to get killed by a cab. But I am not locked in on the bike. So I don't like you there. It's a blind spot. It's like when a quarterback doesn't see. It's like you zone blitz. The defensive end drops you and he throws it right to the defensive end. It's like you didn't even see him. You didn't even look for him. So you get picked by the guy underneath because you see the other coverage. You see the coverage to the side and behind. You don't see the coverage underneath. You don't, the guy's right there and you don't see him. That's how I am with bikes right now and bike lanes. So I have to get here, get to that point. What about horse lane? The horse response here, we might have to think about horse lanes. So I don't know. I I was I was intrigued by how many horse responses we got. We'll tell some horse stories. Todd from Yellowstone, have you ever fallen off a horse? Would have been a good question that I would have answered yes to. I don't even want to hear that story. Now that makes me not want to ride a horse. There's a lot of other horror stories that I'm in on. I don't want to fall off. Yes, I rode a horse. It's from the 412. His name was Big Al. He was a former racehorse that took retirement very seriously. He barely moved. I was in Jackson Hole and we rode in the mountains. Might have been cool if Big Al didn't stop every 15 steps to poop. But to the point you're making, I was over 18 at the time and with my mom Everyone else there was a parent with a child. I was the tallest person there, so I got the biggest horse. Big Al sucks. I'll never forget it. Pull one out for Big Al. My wife has a story about being on a horse as a child. The horse's name was Big Red, and something spooked Big Red, and Big Red took off. And I think she was riding bareback and was like holding on to Big Al, Big Red's mane so she wouldn't fall off the horse. So she's like a nature person. I did not. This is unbelievable to me. Rode a horse. The horse's name was Laramie. From Canada to Colorado with my brother on the Continental Divide Trail at age 65. Had three pack horses. Not a three pack. Had three pack horses. Not a three pack. How many horses did you get? We got a three pack. (laughs) Had three pack horses. Slept in tents, saw almost no one for three months and 790 miles. Jeff Taylor, unbelievable. Jeff Taylor, MD in Glendale Springs, North Carolina. Oh, Jeff sends in. I always thought he was from Maryland. I was like, why are you saying you're from Maryland and Glendale Springs, North Carolina? I think it's Jeff Taylor, MD. 790 miles, three months. That's a little too much horse for me, I got to say. I admire it. I'm intrigued by it. I don't think I want to do it. From the 440, when I was 19, I rode a, hup, a horse up Mount Vesuvius in Italy. That's a volcano, isn't it? Is that a volcano? I rode a horse into a volcano. Have you ever ridden a horse into a volcano? <laughs> the instructor spoke zero English, and near the end of the trip, he yelled something to all the horses, and they took off in a full sprint. He thought it was funny. No one else seemed to think so. It made me realize how powerful and fast these animals actually are. Not very easy to stay on. I don't want to ride a horse into a volcano. 
Doug, get out of Disney and go to a place where you can ride a horse on the beach. Like the Kevin Costner of Westerville. I do like fake things. I love recreations of real things. So it's weird, though, because I don't like robots. But I kind of like Disney robots. I like Disney. I like robots when I know they are under our control. And when they're in Disney, they're under... Now now I'm setting myself up for Disney robots to kill me. But I like... I like disney version. That's really the word I like. I like disney versions of real-life things. So I need to find a disney horse. Doug, I haven't listened to the horse pod yet. Well, this is the horse pod. The other one was just a horse, like a horse 15 seconds on the, on last, the pod yesterday. But I answered the survey. I don't love horses, but I worked at a horse ranch anyway for six years. I worked there because of the people. I treated the... I like people. That's me. I treated the horses with kindness and respect, but was not a horse, quote, fan. However, there's something really relaxing about a nice trail ride through the woods with friends on horseback. It's great for conversation, and being out in nature is a blast. Plus, the horses do have their own personalities. It's not like riding a bike. You have a living creature under you that has preferences and opinions about the path you take and the way you take it. It's a rewarding, peaceful experience, but I don't think about horses ever when I'm not riding one. The idea, I given how I occasionally treat my podcast cohorts, Co-hosts, co-horses, my podcast co-hosts, the idea of me riding a thing with a personality that has preferences is fraught. That perhaps is not what I want to do. Maybe bike is, maybe bike is, is, is the way to go for me. I am retired and spend time volunteering at stables where my wife and I own two horses. Riding a horse is very pleasurable and somewhat therapeutic that I could use. I spend a lot of time with horses, and they are a noble animal. I spent 40 years in sales dealing with horse crap. Now I still deal with a lot of horse crap. The difference is now it's more honest. That I love. Therapeutic, the idea of a relaxing, as long as the horse doesn't have too many ideas. I want the horse to be in charge of me, but also listen to me. Is that possible? Hmm. Lot... (laughs) I don't trust animals larger than me. Horses are untrustworthy. Rusty in Dallas. That's just a funny survey as my wife is trying to decide if riding horses on spring break in Scottsdale sounds good. It's another one. Way more questions than I expected in a horse riding survey. I did send four questions. That survey might make me stop the text. That's real. You sign up for football, you get horse questions. Great Lakes Urbanites. Yeesh. So, yeah. Lots of uh, lots of horse information. I, it helped me. It helped me. I hope it helped you. Good Lord, Doug, you are weird with your weird surveys. But I took it, and yeah, I want to ride a horse as an as an adult now. Not that it seems like that much fun. It might actually be a pain in the butt. However, the older I get, the more I want to learn new skills that seem like they would be useful. Riding horses is on that list. I'm here for new skills. I'm not. Like, unless we have, like, a zombie apocalypse, I'm not sure exactly, like, how useful they would be. But, like, in general, knowing how to ride a horse sounds cool. Last one, not a rant, but horse answer. My aunt and uncle live in the Canton Canal Fulton area, and they have horses. And during the summer, we will ride them up the towpath to Cleveland and back. Always a lot of fun. And they are memories I'll have for a lifetime. So that's good. So also this person went to New York City and went to Madison Square Garden. I have not been to Madison Square Garden for a basketball game. I've seen a concert there, but I have not been there for a basketball game or a hockey game. I know they had the Big Ten tournament there a couple years, so that is something on my list. I want to ride a horse to Madison Square Garden in the bike lane. 
that is my new bucket list item from this podcast. All right. Sorry for getting this one up late on Friday. Nathan and I will be back with Monday Madness on Monday. The C.J. Stroud Legacy Pod is up next week. Someone suggested we call it Buckeye Life. We'll come up with an idea. I like that idea. I like suggestions. Sometimes I just my brain doesn't work. We can't think of good titles. So thanks for everything. Thanks for all the suggestions. Thanks for missing us while we were gone. Thanks for calling me out on being a jerk. I always need that. Thanks for um, the, your horse answers, and especially thanks, as always, for the football insights, rants, and questions. For now, that'll do it. I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>